America deserves Trump. Like for all the shit that we've gotten away from and gotten away with, the way we've treated the middle class and the working class, like he's exactly, he's exactly the characterization of our electoral congress. Well, we've, he's a culmination certainly of like, you know, the the sort of um, bigotry, like like now he's saying it's, uh, you know, the, I don't know if you heard this phrase before, he's saying the quiet part loud. Um <laughs> <laughs> Which is like because it, it it's been there as long as my politi- you know I didn't pay you're, attention you're, to politics you're totally right. you're totally at right. all until you know like nine eleven really like made me realize I'm like I am what the fuck is going on because I, I remember when George W Bush was running against Gore and I was having a cigarette at, at a job and there was someone I worked with who was really paid attention to po- politics um, mm-hmm. and she was like really like I can't believe this guy it's like he got to make sure he doesn't win and I was like oh wait. George, he's wait. He's the other guy's son. Yeah. Oh, he can't win. That's corny. Like I just, just I, but I wasn't thinking about voting. I wasn't paying attention. Sure. Any well, of it. you were like seventeen. At the time. No, I, I, I would have been. I'd have been in my twenties. Oh, point. word. And yeah, no, like, like, no, I, like, so I literally, I literally watched the television at six. Do you, you want to tell crazy? You want to hear crazy? My crazy nine eleven story. Um. So yeah, I'd been about. Uh, not have been 23, mm-hmm. but uh, I was living at a friend's house at the time. I was like uh, in between jobs or something like that. And then uh, I was crashing at his place and I fell, I fell asleep on his couch watching the History Channel, mm-hmm. a documentary on Pearl Harbor. Oh, Jesus Christ. That's so ironic. And I fell asleep and I woke up and I see like these buildings, you know, like there's, you know, this stuff's going on. And I think it's still the History Channel. I'm like, when did that happen? Today. I didn't realize it, like, it, it took me a couple so of minutes uh, coming so out of funny. a haze to realize like, oh my God, this is happening right now. And I was like, I, I, I it's interesting. I, I love, didn't love it, but it's fascinating talking about different people's 9-11 experiences. Cause mine Can was, I share mine? Well, yeah, but uh, mine was, though, so it was that and then. I was just home alone. It was, and I just went, I remember going out on the porch and everything's quiet and it just juxtaposed against thinking about how everything, the madness that was going on right then and there, but I, you could go out on your porch and it was just a quiet, normal day. So I was, I was, I was similar to your age. I was probably about 25, maybe 26. Um, I had already had a pizza job where I had to be up at like, you know, 9.30 to get to work at 10.30. And I believe the first plane struck the building around like 9.30. Mm-hmm. So I was in my bed and my dad, you know, because my mom had already passed. We were at the house and like I was living there. He comes in live into my bed in my bedroom and he's like, Alex, come here, come here. I'm like, what? He's like, you got to see this. So I go into like my parents room and like, you know, he's on the bed and it's like, that's the World Trade Center. And there's a plane lodged in the side of one building. He's like that you, was that that golden moment that was where like, everyone literally, was like oh I maybe saw, it's an a, you know what what's right, this terrible right. accident so I happened. I literally saw the second plane hit the second building I was watching that too. and so that's that's when I I I, I saw it and my, so my dad is like sitting there he's like can you believe this is happening and I was just like I didn't have nothing to say I was just like mm. so then like I had to go to work so I went to work and I went to the pizza shop that I was working at and um we were pretty vocal about our ideas and we were a bunch of pizza dudes. Like, so like people talk shit. It's like a locker room, you know, mm. especially when you're making food for people at 11 o'clock in the morning. You know, so like I walk in and my boss is like, did you see what happened on, 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 uh, on, on the news? Cause it was like, we didn't have, you know, 
internets. No one was checking. People weren't staring at their phones <laughs> right, back then. If, right. you, if anyone can remember, so that I was time. just like, I was like, yeah, I saw it. I was like, we had it coming. That's the first thing I said to him, my boss. He fired me. <laughs> I got fired because I said we had it coming. And you know, I mean, honestly, the. the there I got the pl- job back. There are plenty of people. There are plenty of people who you know studying politics and studying what we've been doing who make that case, and it's it's hard to be like as far as like you know we we trained Osama bin Laden. Boom. I mean, schools of America. Yeah. Boom. Like you know, like and that's the thing is like you know we're we're, we're even so far from that now. Like like we look at we look at Trump as like well an that's incident. what no that gets but so this all came up from talking about Trump and and you were saying like you know we're getting the president we deserve but I when I say what I remember though is like you know the seeing the um, Islamophobia mm-hmm. get stirred up and mm-hmm. and seeing how Muslims were you know that was just like the currency of politicians for a long time and like, and, and it, it never stopped and and, 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 such, a and, and such a currency became the racism that we're dealing with today. Yeah, and because because it's based on like uh, on like on a distant fact instead of result, you know, and like and like and that and that's my biggest hang up about how you know this this whole administration is just like a distraction from from like real real issues, like like our country had so many issues when he came into office. That we needed to take care of, and now they don't even exist. It's just like like a, a complete. No, we're ad just hoc. putting out all these these unnecessary fires. Yeah. Just to get out of the the house, and then we're gonna get out of the house and realize, like, yeah, the foundation was melting too. The the hardest thing is watching somebody get away with a crime, and in and that's what's going on. We're well, watching. We're, we're literally watching him get away with like crimes that no other administration. Biggest has, failure has too. I mean, a big reason why we're in this situation too, where you know he can. He can such brazen commit such brazen acts of obstruction of justice, yep. and then then we have to listen to like, hmm, should we impeach? Um, it's because I I was really pissed when that uh, when Obama won and told us we need to look forward, not backward. I'm like, you're just you're covering just, your you are just setting us up yep. for someone else to come in and just like the fact that Bush and Cheney were able to lie us into that war. I agree the way they were. And not be repudiated and not be sent, you know, like everyone's like, you know, you know, fucking like the way we treat crime and at the, you know, at the mm-hmm. fucking street level mm-hmm. where you, you know, you're caught with this thing. You need to go to jail. So you learn your lesson. Deterrence. Mm-hmm. What deterrence is there mm-hmm. for any of these powerful people to not continue to just do whatever the fuck they want. And that's like, it's, it's like, and that's like a, a, like a thing we have to ask the community of the world right now. Like, I mean, I mean, we're like literally dealing with like a global, how do you say, a global association that is detailing away the people that serve them. And it's frustrating because, like, like has, as as this conversation started with, like, you know, our parents who are outreaching people. I'm sorry, our people who are outreaching people, and like they, they, you know, they create us in in such a way, and they have to deal with so much turmoil just to bring us into life and like balance us into the world, and 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 challenge themselves and their own imaginations every day about what tomorrow is really worth. Uh, I think. Uh, 
next to the statement of America deserves this guy, I definitely want to admit America should never have been that guy, you know? And, like, we have so many options. We, like, literally, like, the Republicans set up so many establishments that would take care of our our civic and our and our moral duty towards our working class. But it, it, it is almost immediately argued it and then defied it and said it needed to radicalize it and like get opt it out. And it's just like Republicans, dear Republicans, do some homework, realize your history, try to maybe do some Reagan, <laughs> just not as bad you know like just like care about people and reach out to the civic duty that's uh, afoot reagan was pretty damn bad he was horrible um like that whole regime like i i I would even say that was more like he was a celebrity that got played into a game and like it was definitely an aspect of like um republicans and democrats were flipping like a lot of the sociological issues that they adhere to in one platform suddenly were switched. I mean, after Barry Goldwater versus Nixon, the Republican Party was like in a fray. Mm-hmm. You know, Barry Goldwater was like, even to the end of his days, like ended up like accepting his gay daughter and like being against like anti gayism. But like his platform at one point was very anti gay. Um, so, like, again, we're looking at the evolution of, like, how these people are either growing or not knowing. You know what I'm saying? And, like, definitely the the Bushes were just so CIA initiative. Like, they, I couldn't trust a goddamn word any of those motherfuckers said, you know?
when I was coming out of like the haze of my partying and like some of me and my friends who went out to life and did their shit and, and came back to Cleveland and would come see a show or not. I had this one brother that was actually like an early drone driver for, for Obama. Like, and he did like eight years. Um, he, he did four, four years infantry infantry. And then he ended up like, like operating drones so he was working in Madrid, but operating drones in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And like, so he was just like, you know, like it was like a New Year's party in like, like 2003 at the grog shop or something like that. And like he came out and we were chatting and I knew he had been in Milan for a while in Afghanistan. And I was a little confused actually because, you know, social media wasn't up and, you know, distant letters or like posts on MySpace would catch, you know, <laughs> you up with you. And, uh, you know, it's like, hey, man, you just get back from Milan. How's the military going? He's like, it's good. He's like, I'm done with my fucking tenure, basically. Like, he had, like, he's like, I did it. Like, I don't want to do that anymore. And I always thought that was like, you know, a soldier, you know, a guy who's like part of the military who's like, you know, like, did infantry like elected into field and the sciences and started doing like all this like this is before like I, I think I even had a MySpace account you know what I'm saying like just hearing that this soldier is like working with like drones and shit and he's like dude I don't I don't like doing that job it's like I'm literally killing random people that I don't see there was um one of uh guests I had on this podcast was a journalist uh, whose work I followed for a long time he wrote for crack.com oh I love crack.com yeah. so you know so their good. you know their personal experience series so the first one of that was a drone operator and what was in the things that were brought up in that was talking about how like you know if in you know normal combat situations if you have to like you know shoot someone and mm. you're in whatever you you leave the scene or whatever. Whereas like the drone operators, they, the, you know, above. they, they push yeah. the button, they, they lays the target and it blows up the house. And then they just have to sit there and watch. Yeah. And that was the and, thing. That was the thing about the soldier that he was like, he's like, I never thought I would hate playing video games. He's like, after I worked for them for that, like, he's they like, also like you, they're so intimate. Like mm-hmm. it's not also too like you would be watching like a, you know, a guy who is like a suspected Al Qaeda, but the guy is also a father. So you'd watch him like play with his kids and night vision and, and go play and take a shit. And then like a couple of days later, watch him get blown up. So back, so back in the nineties, like, um, I had a, a good friend of mine who actually worked at the same pizza shop that I worked at that I was talking about before. And um, he was a kid whose dad was a door guy at the grog shop back in the day. And, like, his dad had a heart attack. 
and he ended up with his his stepmom. Um, but his stepmom kind of had it out for him because he looked a lot like his dad, and she was like really broken heart about it. So she kind of treated him like shit. So he just like you know he was a street kid basically at this point, like really strong kid, like really smart, and like we were homies. And then um, it was like you know during the time when people only had emails, you know, and um, he emailed me and uh, on my Yahoo, and I looked it up, and I was he's like, hey. Um, because I was already like part of a lot of musician groups that were pro- protesting the occupation of Iraq. Um, we were doing protests downtown, just playing music and shit like that. And um, he was like, you know, you're my homie and all, but like, you know, I just want to let you know I'm going to Fallujah. I was just like, I, mean, I knew his detail. I knew, I knew it was up. I'm like, is this what you really want to do? Like, cause like, I love you. Like, I don't think you're wrong for doing this, but like, this is really what you want to do. He's like, yeah. He's like, I just, he's like, I don't have no life in Cleveland. My mom doesn't want me around. My dad's dead. I just have no money. Like I can get money this way. I was just like, go, you know, like, and I didn't even believe in the war, but I believed in him. You know what I'm saying? So like a couple years pass maybe about three, we end up getting a coffee at, at, at the Phoenix and just hang out, catch up with each other. You know, how's it been? He's back. He's got a couple of kids now. Like, you know, he's been able to, like, take care of the military. He got married. Like, and an, like, amazing wife that, like, dealt with him disappearing for, like, six months, a year at a time while other starting out. How couples do that? Uh, he, he, like I said, like, he was raised, like, by single parents, essentially, even though, like, he had some parents who went out. And uh, so then when we're sitting down and talking, you know, I was just like, hey, how 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 are you feeling? How are things? Like, I'm really happy. He was doing good. You know what I'm saying? And then he just brought up this one story that I thought was really wild. He's like, I did have this friend that kind of like ended up in a bad way. I'm like, how'd that go? He's like, so like, we're like infantry spotter. So like this, the, uh, the spotter like runs ahead of the infantry, and they like they find spots to snipe from. Like so, if there's anything like that's adversary to the oncoming infantry, they they're gonna snipe them down. And so like a couple of times, it'd be like a foxhole, or it'd be like you know like building or something. But they're like the scouts go forward, and like the infantry follows behind. And they got in this pretty hairy neighborhood. And mind you, this is like before drone technology conversation. This is like just soldiers going through with walkie-talkies type shit. And like, so he gets in a foxhole with this one soldier. They were pals the whole time. They're just doing their job, you know. All of a sudden, just like everything is dust. And they get a radio fire. They're just firing into the dust, you know, like see figures kind of coming up at them. And uh, all of a sudden, his buddy falls back and just like sits with his rifle and just starts shaking. He's like, I don't know what the hell you're doing, but I'm doing my job. What the hell are you doing? So he said that, like, you know, when they got back to the States, he, you know, he talked to the dude and, and they had that moment where he's like, you know, what happened that night? He's like, dude. He's like, we were shooting into the dust. And he's like, I looked through my crosshairs and I was just shooting. And I aced through a, a child and a, and a mother. And I couldn't do it anymore. 
So that's what they're left to. Dust. Enemy ahead. And that's what happens. A, a, a human being who does not want to do that to somebody. They just want to protect their fellow soldier. But then they realize they just aced through a child and a mother with one shot. You know? So that's why it's like, you know, I'm not like... I'm a, I'm a, I'm anti-militants, but I'm not anti-military because I know that a lot of people who volunteer in that aspect they, they witness things that just are not necessary and and they didn't ask to be put in that situation, but they kind of did, you know. Like I have I have this one el- elder I take care of. He he served in Vietnam um, on 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 the aircraft carriers, and I mean even him, like his whole option was like I'm just gonna do this job, you know to get out of the situation and make it easier on my family because mm-hmm. they were so poor and he would, you know, get fed and th- three cots in a hot, you know, or three hots in a cot. I'm sorry. My prison language isn't working too well today.
I'm the last warrior that will kill anybody, but I'm the first warrior that'll help people make music and like create community. You know, because I think I think that's what we're left with. You know, like we have this really radical America right now, and I and I think we should use our freedom to our best option and create create a new America that's not based on lies and and mythos and slavery. Mm. I think I think we're in a position where like finally like even between the races if we can just paraphrase that, you know, you know black and white or whatever. Cuz like literally like I mean there's so many aspects that keep people from each other just like thinking about each other in a way. You know that like we're not a way. We're we're a, we're, we are collectively a way. Yeah. You know. I think that's that's the thing I'm I, the the word I'm tr- I'm trying to hold in my mind as I go into anything political, especially if I'm talking with someone who is thinks that we are on coming, you know, we're opposing each other is solidarity. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. always mm-hmm. you can always find solidarity with someone. There's something that you and I have can sh- you know we share a struggle against. Hundred percent. Like uh, it, it, I think I think one of the things that I. Th- like I'll I'll put it this way, like another paraphrasing. Um, I I think the biggest way America has failed has, in a sense, taken away forum. You know, forum was actually how this country and how nativism worked before, like any establishment. Like everybody put their voice into the pot. They boiled up the stew, came up with a result. Like for me, like as a poet. And one of the reasons why I brought it before is like when I started really feeling like I was evolving as a writer, I stopped using first person pronoun. I would like try to broaden my idea to like how it would be perceived by an individual or a situation or like an applied ideology. Like suddenly you can get away from saying I, me, think, this, that, us, me, why, you know, and you start there is that of which says things that inspires this, that turns into that and makes this, you know, like, and that came from, like I said, like, um, I I think I skipped that conversation before. Um, I was doing some reading into Native American linguistics and there was a South American and a comparable, uh, I think, uh, Anasazi-oriented tribe that never spoke in the first pronoun. It was always us, we them there that what there was not an i me mine and then like next to that when i was talking to my homie who was of the navajo nation you know like we were just talking about vanity i don't know how it came up maybe it was my fault but he was like he's like you know in my people it's a sin to see a reflection I was like, that's weird. What do you do when you, like, get a glass of water from the river? He's like, no, that's the thing. You can't look at your reflection. He's like, the law of our people is that we make each other beautiful. You can only see yourself through other people's eyes. Right. And so that, that it was much more of a nuclear family through through nomadic, you know, you know survival. But it was just that you represented your, your clan. And, like, you didn't beautify yourself. Your family beautified you. And like when you when you take it away from like going to a shop and like choosing your outfit, you know, like and you deal with like, hey, we're literally 
like looming the clothes into each other and like making these, you know, makeups and like, you know, jewelries and like, let me, let me make you beautiful. Mm. And that's what I mean, like Navajo is pretty wild ass region, but like those people really love each other and they really care about each other and they have a lot of respect for family and honor and loyalty. Um, our White House doesn't do that. <laughs> we're, we're not going back down the political rabbit hole. I just wanted to say yes. like in comparison. And that's why, that's why I went to them. Yeah. And that's why I feel like those teachings to me like have more truth. between like how hard my parenting was or how hard the street was or how hard it was to like go through the 90s with a paper map and like no cell phone and travel the country and make music 
it just ended up kind of disciplining what you know most people don't have. You know, because like even like I was saying in the beginning of the conversation, like I've watched social media change so much that I know that it's almost impossible for me at my age to keep up to think that it's necessary. But I'm lucky that like my path has been opened up enough that I'm working with young people and we make music together like on a real intellectual level. Like we don't have like they're already not trying to do it and they're just doing it, yeah. you know. And so like, you know, like I'm going to play this show with my homies in a couple of days you know, I like even like I don't know. Like last last weekend, I played like three shows with three different bands. One of which I never rehearsed with. One of which I always rehearsed with. The other one we sometimes rehearse with. You know, and it was just like a drunken blur. And I'm sure all of them are very worried about me, but like they they know and they're very caring and we're very good with each other. And but like I'm even the drinking and the playing involved. Like I'm, I'm working with the bartenders, you know, I'm working with the sound guy. I'm working with the band. We have a relationship. They know I'm a crazy fuck. They know I'm an honorable dude. We're going to get this shit done. And like, I'm lucky that like in my life in Cleveland, I was able to establish art and music and community. I was, there's one thing I wanted to say is you seem like the Johnny Appleseed of open mics. I'm the Johnny Appleweed. <laughs> the Johnny Appleweed. Because <laughs> how you've started the Root Cafe, yeah. the B side, mm -hmm. uh, Social Room, mm -hmm. the, and uh, all, all the way back. Well, the first one was the Rhythm Room. Rhythm Room, which was the old Peabody's that became the Rhythm Room and then turned into Melt. So that was like my first hit, and I actually didn't let my first hit, but like my first open mic host to where like. I was going there, and my friend was hosting the open mic, and then he decided to go to California to try out his big rock star deal, or not even that, but just like went to California, you know, like get away from Ohio. And he's like, "You want this job?" And I was like, "Fuck yeah, I'm here every week." Like, and I was like, when I was still working at the pizza shop, and then I picked up like this gig, and then like literally like within about two years, I was running five open mics between five different bars a week, and then gigging two nights with my bands. Otherwise, so I was like, like my first my first real run, like I was doing like seven nights a week for like, I think I like I, my first three years at it. Like I was doing about 340 gigs a year. Oh, so that was like every night. And when, when, when was this? About? It was like so 2001 so through 2006. So let me ask you what have, what do you think of the Cleveland music scene right now? And, and it's what ever evolving. <laughs> How is the uh, how has the arc of it been? Is it in? A, is, you think it's in a, in a good place right now, in, in, in a transition, or because I I've, I I think it's great. I I, think, I, I I've been I've I been like so happy moving here from. We moved here from New York, and that's mm -hmm. how we met. Was in the open mic scene yeah. there, and then coming here, it was just so easy to like go in. Um, but I've I've heard some like you know I've heard things from uh, like uh, Dave uh, Snyder. Mm -hmm. Um, was talking to me like you know the scene was a bit different like uh, I forget which you know what time he's talking about where it was a lot more like uh, kind of everyone for themselves and there, he said I mean, there's, he's, well, he's not wrong he's not wrong I know Dave he's a yeah. great guy and he's he's a, or is he's, that just in certain circles of a scene um, I, you're gonna bump into that yeah I mean especially if you're gonna try to like run some game in the clubs um, and that that's not a a, a defamation of his concern you know like it's it's it it's what you meet and like my response to that which kind of ends up to like what i'm doing now yeah man i didn't i didn't play anybody's game i didn't like 
take a, you know, a 10 by, back in, back in the nineties, you had to have a photograph of your band and then you had to have a cassette demo, you know, it was like, man, I went through that so much. And like, then as soon as you got into that, that's when you meet the clicky shit. And like, he's not wrong. It's totally there. Um, without demonizing any of the facilities in our community, I will definitely say I'm good. I'm okay. I got some family and, um, yeah, no, I, I, you know, I did residencies for like 15 to like 17 years at a time. Business was always good. And then when I just phased out, they just canceled my shit and like didn't even give me a phone call. And I'm just like, yo, man, like I've been working for you for like longer than people I know in my life, you know, like why would you just blow me off like that? And I mean, like, when it first hit me like that, I was definitely offended and I was really frustrated. But, like, you know, I just kind of understood after a while. It's just like things change. You had that gig for 15 years, so get something new, you know? Like, so I don't know. Like, of course, Dave is talking about dealing with people with an aspect of months. I think he was talking about, like, you know, there was a lot more, like, there's Battle of the Bands all the time and things like that. Yeah, but there always were, you know? And, like, not that he wasn't aware of them. Um, but it was just like, yeah, I mean, like club scene has always been a little kind of weird, you know, like, I mean, it's a business, you know? Well, that's a whole tier that I Mm -hmm. have not even gone into yet. I haven't, we're still developing as musicians to a point where I'm not, I'm not someone who's like, I'm ready to walk in and like book book me. See the the hard, the hardest thing about that is that you actually like, so like when you, when you're dealing with a bar. Okay, like there's 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 three parts. You meet a bar from the bartender, you meet a bar from the b- booking agent, or you meet the bar from the owner. You know, and everybody has their own detail about how they orient with each other. Like like it, and again, it's sort of like I was bringing up about how I was even juggling the conversation between my parents and like how we understood each other. Like mom wouldn't mind throwing throwing down. Dad would always try to talk a little bit more. So it was like hmm. like different field shit, and and like in the end, like I just was able to learn how to like oh you're talking that way oh you got a you got a code switch yeah yeah hundred percent and like and I I don't know like in the beginning I was probably a little less capable of that, but in in, in nowadays like I find myself like almost sort of like like the bar bartender whisperer for the club owner sometimes, you know, like he just needs to cuss at me about like how pissed off he is or she is about the situation. It's like, I just get out of your system. You know, it's good. It's just that just just wait, (laughs) you know, like, because like, that's the thing is like, when you, when people get into business, they're not really worried about people. Just worry about the numbers. And for me, like I worry about people and like the numbers could come and go, you know? And like, the clubs have learned to respect me for that because they know I have a product that will maintain and sustain. But it was like, a, it was a gamble for me to like work with them like that and just be like, Hey, I'm not going to jump through your hoops. I'm not going to, you know, I've done the work, you know, I can do it. You know, and it's probably the only real thing I got right now is that I've done the work. Now you've been very open about, you know, you're just like, Oh, cause of my alcoholism and, and you know, you've, you've gone through drugs. Oh, yeah. So you, you feel like, did that ever become like an obstacle to you oh, in horribly. music? And, and, and I just <laughs> yeah. want to make sure are you in a good place now? I can't let um, someone just come in here. I'm like, Oh, I'm an alcoholic. I'm like, okay. <laughs> no, uh, no, I mean, I, I know that I'm going to fix you. Well, my, but my, like, my, my, uh, my ancestors are the Inca and the Inca. Like if you actually get into their history, 
they in the beginning they was, it was thought that they were expansionists because they were warrior which they did have a warrior class but it came to to light that it was basically that they got everybody drunk <laughs> They literally went through the Andes and were like, hey, man, you got that wool. That looks pretty cool. Hey, you want some booze? What's booze? I don't know. You should try it sometime. And then the next thing you know is like, if you look in the genealogical record of the evolution of the Inca tribe, there's very little murder. There's very little slavery. It's just like a bunch of people buying booze off the Incas while they go through the Andes and just get everybody to trade with them. So it's kind of everyone's just like... They weren't an advancing empire. Everyone was just like, "Come, come over here. Yeah. We want booze." Yeah, <laughs> or they just knew how to talk to them and tell them what well, booze. And like, and that, so they and were it, they were trading booze, or they just got people drunk, and while they were drunk, they took their stuff. I don't think. I think. It, I think. I, I, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. But like, yes, it was more just that everybody agreed to it. Because like like the genealogical trace, which is sort of like the, the sort of like factor, is that like a lot of families still survived beyond the Incas with them, versus like hey we took your kids and like raped your women, you know. So it was just like everybody was like hey we want to sign on to some chicha, which is the it's like it's a vodka essentially. It's like uh, the spoils of like their 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 containment vegetables that they turned into like you know liquor. Thank you. 
And it's like, it's not something I want to do all the time. I'm just a lonely ass fucking alcoholic that doesn't want to fucking trouble a woman with my love. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, you know, it's like, you know, you, you, the world's out there, you know, like I got like, I'm like literally living with a man that would have been homeless right now, probably already dead. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So why is it different in the aspect of, of how I, I'm affectionate with people, you know? And like, not to say I haven't been robbed, you know, not to say I haven't been like in a way, you know, that put me in a process to where I'm like, well, I'm like, I'm not going to jump on every, everything that offers itself to me. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I do have to be discriminatory. I have to protect my old man. You know what I'm saying? Not me as an old man because I'm an old man, but like my old man, like Sam. Yeah, and you, yeah, you brought up Sam before. What? Who is Sam? Sam is the mayor of Coventry. (laughs) Ever since I was a kid, I go to Coventry, and I'd like, I love seeing that brother. You know what I'm saying? Like, so what it was is like, as a kid, and you know, I was trying to get in clubs. You know, like sit outside the bars. You know, play play your guitar. You know, try to like let them know that you're there. You know, like. How do I, who do I need to talk to? How do I make a demo? Who do I give a demo to? So I was one of those guys sitting outside of the old grog shop, like down, down, like not in the new grog shop, old grog shop, just sitting outside watching all these bands I admired, like going to club, like, man, I see Sublime. I've seen like, like G, 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 G Love and the Special Sauce. Mm-hmm. Like, like, I mean, like crazy ass random dudes at that spot, you know, like, so that's where I, I hung, you know. I didn't drink back then at all, you know, so I was, like, selling weed to all the dudes that would fucking tolerate me. And then sometimes I get in the club and I hang out, like, you know, because I sold somebody some weed or some shit, you know. But always on the outside, like, you know, be Sam, you know. Like, you find me. He's like, how you doing, man? Listen to some tunes, have some cigarettes, you know. And then it's just, like, genesis into, like, him being a guy I went to, you know, like, and, like, I always looked out for him. And, uh... Next to him, I met a lot of other people that were in the same destitution, that were homeless, afflicted, you know, with mental disease or, you know, drug abuse or whatever, you know. But they all loved Sam. And Sam wasn't hung up on nothing. He was just like an honest, good person that everybody loved, you know. And so, like, I kind of, like, was like, when I started, like, getting out of just being on the street and playing in the clubs, you know, like, Sam would always be there. You know, like at the end of the night when I like need to load up some gear and like nobody else is around because all my bandmates are fucking somebody and like nobody wants to load up gear. He'd be there and like help me put drums, amps in the car, like drive him to a squat, you know. So we did that for several years. You know, it's just like he'd just show up at my gigs and I like break off some of my bread I made and you know, like, get him home because you know, he helped me with my shit. And then, like, you know, so then one of our one of the other elders in my in my growing uh was a guy named Freddie Hill. And Freddie Hill was like one of those dudes that like lived in New York and worked the door at like, you know, all these clubs in New York and did crazy drugs and hung out with like all these punk rockers and shit. So by the time I met him, he was fried. It's <laughs> like he's wearing sequined short skirts and like combat boots and like genie hats and like porn stapled to the shit and like <laughs> You know, like, just sit there, like, with, like, this crazy, like, little, like, prayer corner of, like, his, like, you know, beer and his, like, porn and his, like, you know, newspaper that he wanted to read. And it would just be, like, this little ritual. It was, like, it almost it was almost like Hindu, you know? <laughs> it was, like, crazy. <laughs> he just had this ability and this grounding force. Like, 
Even though I knew he was out of his mind, I knew when he was clear and he spoke clearly, he knew everybody. He knew who was pregnant. He knew who was dating who. He knew what club owner was doing what to the other club owner. You know, it's just like I could hang with him and get the real, you know. And he was the one that was just like, yo, Sammy needs somebody to look out for him. Freddie Hill passed a couple of years back. Like, maybe it's been longer now. Um, Fred, Fred, Fred was like, I mean, if anybody listens to this, you know, you know, like I'm sure they will, but like of, of, of my kin, like Freddie, Freddie Hill was like probably one of the coolest motherfuckers to ever hit Coventry and just like help people be people, you know, like, and he was schizophrenic as fuck. He lived on the streets. He lived in the woods, man. His day, like I, I knew his schedule when he would get five bucks from his dad a week just because he couldn't trust his kid with his money, you know what I'm saying? And, like, you know, yeah, Freddie would get a little wild. He would get a little weird. But it was just, like, he was afflicted. He he had he had schizophrenia, like, really bad, you know? Like, when you talk to a schizophrenic like that, you understand the diversity of a human being because they're, they're not completely insane. They just have a, an ability to see beyond what we see as normal people. I remember hearing something that, like, some, that... I can't remember which culture or where I heard that, but it's very vague that some people who were schizophrenic in, in past uh, earlier cultures were actually, many of them were the soothsayer. shaman. Yeah, shaman soothsayer. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, medicine right. And and uh, like I, I believe that Sam, even though he has been, uh, you know, diagnosed as such, um, and even, even Fred, like, no, like, as somebody that intrinsically writes intuitively, creates, um, believes in creation, like, yeah, man, madness is a genius most of the time. And if there is a bad connotation to madness, it would be one that does not realize truth and wants to push a lie. And one thing I've met out of all the cats on the street that were left to nothing, man, that all they want to do is be honest. All they want is life to be true, you know, because when life is hard, man, that's all you got, you know, you just, you just want it to be right. Well, I mean, the thing is, we're all kind of trapped in a collective madness Agreed. and yeah. people who cannot process that, who cannot navigate this world and put on the faces you need to put on and do the dances you need to do, they will be cast as crazy mm -hmm. because now, they have an individual madness what i what i learned from these guys though is that even though yes their their typecast was set above them into a framework they were still able to live and create truth between their friends and family you know like yeah i mean it, and it's so like that's that's where sam and i started you know like we were both really like i definitely had good parenting Caring parenting, like maybe aggressive to a degree, but like at least enough that gave me self actuation, and and that like I was able to like you know adhere to other people that have been abused in their own way, maybe not the way I had, but like we were able to like have, we were able to create a congress between each other, you know, survival mode, you know, like hey, the rest of the world could suck, but like if I see you at this one point of the day, we got tomorrow, you know. And then that that just turned into every day between me and Sam, and that that was that wasn't that wasn't a decision either of us made. That was just what happened to us, you know. Like, yeah, at one point, like, hey, you know, 
you just got adopted or you adopted this guy was told to me. And it was just because we were like homies that like dealt with a neglectful, uh, infrastructure of social work and, and, and liars of politics. So Fred, I mean, Freddie was the one that Fred, started Fred, telling you to look out for Sam. Fred was, what, what Fred, did that mean? Fred, Fred, Fred was also on social security too. Like he was, his father was getting checks and breaking them off to him. Um, but, but Fred, like would squander his money, so his dad like, dude, I. So watched, his dad was being a good steward, I watched, though he wasn't like yeah, hoarding I watched money. His, I watched his dad like literally, like it was like Fred was like in his like fifties, and his dad was in his seventies. His dad would just ride his bike to Coventry. He lived on an apartment over on Lee, right over there by the garage, like right intersection of Lee and Euclid Boulevard. There's like an apartment building over there, mm-hmm. so that's where Fred's dad lived. And with with a girlfriend or whatever, and his girlfriend didn't like Fred because Fred was kind of crazy, you know. So like his dad would literally ride his bike to Coventry just to like break off the check, you know. Here's five bucks today, son. Get some beer, some smokes, sleep in the woods, come find us, you know. And and it was just like when I met that relationship, it made so much sense to me because that's kind of like how like. I think my family life was treating each other. You know, we were like in a way and we had to treat each other in a way. And like, I don't know. I was like, it, it seems so similar and it seems so like exactly like how people that don't, that don't have options make betterment, you know? And I don't know. Like, like I almost feel like my relationship with, Coventry meeting all these people in homelessness and destitution and then creating a life between each other is like the closest I could ever get to Taoism or Buddhist thought, you know, which is something I never elected myself to. Like I'm extremely inspired by Taoism and Buddhist thought, but I don't think of myself as a Buddhist. I think of myself as a functional disformant. It's a prison without any bail Doing time Paying the bills And I still ain't got Jack for Jill Gamblers and thieves Seem to know the deal Good folk Pay to pray For the land we steal I did a whole lot of trying Just to get up that hill Still ain't got Jack or Jill Spend what little sense I have 
getting by and by Second hand hand-me-downs And in a trash car I can find Broken crown From falling down The last time we tried Climb to the well I did a whole lot of trying Just to get up the hill And I still ain't got jack for Jill Yeah, I still ain't got jack for Jill Yeah, I still ain't got jack for Jill You know, it's one thing I haven't brought up with you, or that you know, that's I've said, I've said before, but it's definitely relevant to like what we're talking about, like community, and then um, the sort of the way that religion hangs on to its position in our society because it's one of the last major venues of community for a lot of people. I understand. Is I realize that like open mics and the music scene that is my church mm-hmm. that i go there for the community and what and it's also when i started to when it first occurred to me that like um that the beautiful thing about an open mic versus church mm-hmm. is that you go to church everyone gathers together to hear one man tell everyone what they're supposed to think or his spin on yes. the thing and open mics is let's all get together and let's all hear what everyone Ooh, thinks. Let's thank you. all hear exactly. everybody's thing. Exactly. In my ethos on that, exactly. Um, as as one that came from a religious aspect that wanted to be a priest in my youth, like um, I lost faith in the church really quick um, just because I want to be a devotee. I want to care about people, and I don't think the religion I was raised under without putting it on blast uh, was doing that. Um, That's exactly why I wasn't thrilled with the church when yeah. I got older when I realized like there were people that were left out. Well, it, it, I think I think the hardest thing is that like when, okay, again, I'll try to cheapen my conversation not to simplify it for people or anything, but just like to, to not go round and round about stupid stuff. That that but it's it's like it's like the engineering of consent. Um, it's it's a it's a model used by industry to take away the power of the nuclear family and make it focused towards the government. Um, when Edward Bernays established this institution next to Anna Freud back in the thirties they maligned a lot of scientists that were looking to to healing psychology. They weren't using psychology to implement a design. They were trying to heal people through what we were learning. Freud, unfortunately, was left to the fray because Edward Bernays and, and Freud's daughter, Anna Freud, manipulated his texts and stole his his writings to promote a book that Edward Bernays made called The Engineering of Consent, which takes the power 
away from the nuclear family and involves them in a sociological infrastructure to develop industry. Um, so when America was totally cool with Edward Bernays and on a Freud about this, uh, a guy named Joseph Goebbels picked up their book called Engineering of Consent and, create, and created propaganda in Nazi Germany. So the truth be told, corporate America is basically Nazi Germany. And it's not different. And I think I'm not trying to bring that up as like, like, hey, controversial. Look at uh, you, edgelord. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is that it just it just turned into the fact that like one of the reasons why me and the rest of the street don't give a fuck about America is because of that shit. Because when you're poor and you ain't got nothing, you you could see that shit. You're not going to. Yeah, you can see through the veil of propaganda. Yeah, yeah, and yeah 100%. percent I, I, I just love that you brought up Edward Bernays and, and, and you're not the first. Uh, this is not the first podcast he came up on. Uh, a, a musician I had here spent a she had a stint in college and she was going towards public relations. And I brought up like, oh, psychology. Have you have you read crazy. it? Have you seen the documentary The Century of the Self? Yes. Yes. Hugely. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that was my it's friend. A, it's a three that, hour marathon of a documentary. I think it's God damn. It's a it's bomb. amazing. It's, it's amazing. Bomb. Well, 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 they, they online Adam Curtis. Just so, watch so everything Adam so, Curtis. So, so made. the so the band I have, Listen, Little Man, is based. Okay, so Listen, Little Man is a text written by Wilhelm Reich in his response to his imprisonment because of Edward Bernays and Anna Freud. Listen, Little Man is a scientist who looked at science in an earthly and theological level. Telling America that they're about to get raped by the most evil people you will ever meet. And he wrote a dissertation before he was locked up in prison by Bernays and Mary Freud. On a Freud, I'm sorry. Um, basically saying, fuck off the world of science. Oh, say, world of science. Listen, little man. You know, like that. And like, and it's weird is like, you know, me and the guitarist that started that band, we were both reading his text and like we're really into like these nuances and like our writing was going in that way and he's like we we had to like call ourselves a band because like, we had like a gig and we we're just like well, what should we call ourselves and like, like we didn't really understand each other yet and then we but we were both reading edward or i'm sorry um wilhelm reich and he's like you know that text listen little man i'm like yeah the thing is great he's like why don't we call the band listen little man and like Yes, you know, like so. It's just like it was like this total like weird thing that like the most like radical writing that I've ever met like was met with like at least like an argument about like how psychology's been skewed and like let's tell them something else. You know what I'm saying? And so like that's the whole basis of Listen, Little Man is like we're we're named after the writings of Wilhelm Reich. He's the guy that got imprisoned from Edward Bernays and Anna Freud you know, during that time. And he's the, the man who brought to light, like I said before, orgone energy, but we call the neutrino now, you know, and like they, they've, they've like, he's kind of like the Tesla of psychology, you mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Like he did something really scientific that just blew minds in Russia and you, you know, like Eastern Europe and like the powers that be, but then America got him one way or another. And then just took them in and called it their own, mm -hmm. you know. But what I think, what I think, what I think is broadening now 
is that like, you know, even like how we're having a podcast, whatnot, you know, like for me, like, I couldn't apply my personality this way, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you know, because it was like to, to even have the event of like some social media or anything like that. Like you had to go through like all the hoops, you know, before somebody would be interested enough to be that adventurous with you. And I didn't know the computer community that well. I was always dealing with like radio stations or labels or whatever. And like when I went through that field, I, I was just like, wow, these guys are like really like not that honest and like, you know, really kind of like putting me in a way where like I'm not sure like I want to have my work invested in this. So like that's just money. That's just like things. But then like when you look at like how social media has opened up and people can have conversations and we can like literally like like we could sit here and have this conversation. Luckily, at this time, maybe there's like another twenty people in the world that are broadcasting something that has the same affinity, and like like this is a new day in that sense. You know, I I kind of come like I almost feel like I like I would call my my age like a blackout culture, like we were the culture that weren't allowed to know about how things were going to change, and like we were all just waiting for our end of the deal, but like it never came because things changed. And for me, like it was, I, I didn't never have a deal, but like I watched so many people argue me, my effort about why I care, why I'm trying. And I'm like, well, I'm I care and I'm trying because this is what I do. And like, why would you stop? You know, it's like, well, I'm not getting what I want. I'm like, well, then maybe you shouldn't start it. <laughs> you know, if you if it's about you getting what you want. You know, because as far as I've learned from making music in my life, I never got what I want. Only got what I was allowed to learn. You get what you need. Get what you're allowed to learn. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, get what you need. is that'll, that'll happen. But you have to learn that shit. You have to accept it. You have to perceive it. You have to understand that it's a part of your life and, and, and you influence that decision when you make that decision as much as it's an option given to you. And like, and I think there's so much truth in that. And like, I feel like I've learned that more from like, you know, all the homeless, all the hookers, all the druggies I've ever met because they were survival mode. They didn't have an option. And like when I meet people who are good parents, not that they're druggies or anything like that, but like they do the same thing. You know what I'm saying? You have to like reinvent. You have to re-encourage the, 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 the details so like it balances out what you're doing and how the rest of the day can happen. And when you deal with some of the people in more desperate situations in life, they're doing the same goddamn thing. Homeless. Homeless. Like just think about it. I'm not, I'm not saying you never did, but I'm just like, when I think about it sometimes, I'm like, I have a car. I can drive home. You know, I got, I, I have the law or not. I figured it out. I can still get home. I mean, literally, like sometimes I'm shaking hands with homies. Like, I can't change your life. This is your life. You know what I'm saying? Like, if I took in everyone, I wouldn't, I would, I'd, I'd probably be dead. You know what I'm saying? Or like killed by somebody else who got into my way, you know. But like, yeah, man, like, you, some of these homies out there, man, like, I don't even think about celebrities anymore. <laughs> I just think about these great people that survive so much. Well, you know, so a question I ask just about every every musician on here is, 
have you defined success for yourself? You know, like what is going to be success for you? And, and, and most of them are like, well, I would like to, you know, have records and I would like to have money and this and that. And I feel like you, your success is kind of maybe more aligned with mine because I, I, I just don't, I can't see like, oh, I'm, that's the success. For me, like the measure of success in my life is like, Balance. I have I have I have love yeah. and I'm a decent person. Yeah. 100%. And 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 if if you know, it'd be great to have money. It'd be great. But I, I more than anything like to some degree like fear what success brings as a like, you know, a musician or attaining a celebrity and suddenly you lose the ability to be anonymous. You lose like, the ability to connect with people on a real level because they now they know you like like you know if suddenly like Beezy Douglas is like someone playing big shows and they've just created this idea of who I am and I've lost my ability to ha- own my identity. Well, that's the and, first. That's the first thing anybody wants to do, and I'll put it. I'll, I'll paraphrase it this way again. <laughs> Um, Robert Johnson was literally a bullshit name that a lot of pimps used. Robert Johnson was a person at one point, but after he died, everybody used his name. If you were a pimp and you sold drugs, I'm Robert Johnson. I'm a black guy. I'm going to play in the bar. So half of the promotion of Robert Johnson's genius is the fact that there's like 15 years of dudes like after he died that were just like, yeah, I'm Robert Johnson. I'm still alive. I'm playing blues in a bar because I'm selling hookers and drugs on the end of the street. I don't want you to know my name. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, you know, like there's that, you know, and it's just like that's what Trump's doing right now. (laughs) He's doing a Robert Johnson. He's like, oh, was that guy? Not me. Uh, it's oh, I'm that guy. Not, I'm, like, and like, I don't know. Like, it's like for me, like, I, I stopped caring about myself as soon as I loved music. You know, like, I mean, if loving myself will make a baby and like make a good life for another person, that's another thing. But that's not how my life led out. You know, like I just was a troublesome ass fuck between my parents and my friends. And it's just like, you know, Hey, you know, you wanted to fucking sleep as a snake. You're going to get bit, you know, like maybe you'll have some venom that'll write a song the next day. But that's all I got is that venom from fucking abuse, you know, like frustration and anger because like I'm a person that wants to be functional, but I feel like I'm in a dysfunctional world, you know? And like I like I definitely feel for any child that has to dream tomorrow. You know, because they should dream and they should have great ideas and they should learn from good people. But those people should not necessarily be designed by a system or a you know thing. You know, cuz even all the people I knew that survived the prostitution and the fucking drugs, they were just good people. And a lot of them were product or raised from that shit should they not be given aspect or option should they not be like thought of as like good thinkers you know because that's who duke ellington is that's who billy holiday is that that that's who louis armstrong is they were all children of prostitutes 
you know, in, in America talks about like Mother Mary, Christ, Christian like, you know, like she was a sister of fucking hookers if she wasn't a hooker herself. You know, like these are people that forget about themselves and take care of a child and reach into the world and make sure it survives. So that's my thing. It's like, how are we going to help our children survive? You know, like, because, like, this sex shit and how America's been selling it for all this time is ignorant as fuck. I'm a pervert. I watch porn all the time. But by the way, I realize and respect that that is a person who has a personality and a character. They have the courage to perform. I do the same. I'm, I'm no different than a prostitute. At all. I have a talent. I put my heart into it, and I sell it. You're a music worker, sex worker. Boom. Same thing. It's the ancient art, man. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I hate America for criminalizing all the ancient arts just so it can make people defy themselves. And, like, I, I, I think you guys are doing, like, the way your children approached me today were so awesome. Of what I've perceived of, 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 I think this household is definitely hosted like, like a great option of, of character for those those kids. Like Thank you know, you. like thanks. Uh, but I, you know, like I said, like I've dealt with very abusive um, registry, um, and and like and like I'm I'm pretty abusive too. Like you know, like I've tried to love and like been a really shitty boyfriend, you know, because. You know, I had a girlfriend that liked to drink, and if she lets me drink too much, I turn into a dick. You know what I'm saying? So whose fault is it really? You know, <laughs> but like we loved each other, and that happened, and we had to grow up, and we had to learn. You know, like, but like, yeah, I mean, you know, growing, growing, growing up, it's just hard because I've, I've, I've sometimes I've made, I've made love to to women in in my little like, like adventurism and just found somebody that was abused mostly and they they don't understand how to be even comforted you know and so then like you're it, it instantaneously like your your desire for them is a problem you know because they don't know how to perform to that because they, they've always been victimized so to marginally the same shit for the working class it's the fucking same thing they don't know how to trust anyone that's trying to help them but I yeah, it's that's fucking mind blowing. That's to think of because that is the frustrating thing with so many people who are embracing the policies of you know uh, the right and corporatism and 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 and, and thinking that the they're on their side defensive. and not recognizing right. like you know that'll that'll hear like the kind of platforms that Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren is putting forward and they'll somehow like make like, you know, here like we want to abolish college debt and make it's like they suddenly think like you're not trying to help me. You're trying to hurt me like that, that, that they are the, the working class in this country has the same level of abuse that they can't, that they have been traumatized and it's, cannot I, accept I, I that help in the same way that someone that's been sexually abused yeah. In, in their family is not going to trust someone that's trying to help them. Saying this as someone who one of my exes was like, it was a hell of a rocky relationship and I was always trying to, like I said, Open we were talking about before where I'm like, out. I was trying to be 
you know what my father wasn't to my mom right. and but she it wasn't being reciprocated it wasn't until way after like we finally were just like done, done. you she found told out me, I, she told me like she w- had been molested by her brother boom yep and yep. and yeah and then realizing like okay you you have a warped model of of intimacy yeah for sure and like and and like and it it it's like kind of a thing for me like I don't know, like, I don't like to push people into something they're not ready to do. I mean, not to say that I haven't failed on that in the past as a child, but, like, definitely in my, like, as soon as I adapted to caring about others and, like, realizing how fundamentally flawed the system is next to how intrinsically interrupted some of these people I've met, like... I had this really good friend out of that same family as Sam. Um, when she was seven years old, her father killed her mother and shot himself. And then she was found in their arms. Like, you know. So, like, by the time I met her, she was a pretty conflicted person. And it wasn't until one of like Big Mike, the guy I take care of, he looks out for her a bunch. But he's like, yeah, he's like, I won't let, I won't let that bitch live with me. Like she'll slit my throat in the middle of the night, <laughs> like kind of shit, you know. And she's been in and out of the institution, and it's rough because like one part of her is like Jackie. She's like beautiful, warm, and loving, and encouraging, and just like no matter how hard life's been, she's like super sweet. But then when she goes blue, fucking she kill a motherfucker you know and it's just like that's what happened to her and it was just like I, I never knew that about her until like my big Mike told me about that and it's just like I, I can't imagine what it's like because I, I my, one of my OGs that I grew up with in the graffiti culture his his he's a he's a child of a parent murder suicide you know but he was like 17 you know, he came home and the police were like all outside his apartment and shit. And he was just like, oh, mom's dead, dad's dead. There's that. Figure out your life. You know, but like, you know, like imagine being like a seven-year-old child. You know what I'm saying? Like tossed between orphanages and like meet the street, you know, like. Process that. Foo. Like, and like that's a real person that like we're lucky, man. She, man, she's she's been locked up so many times and put in isolation just because that shit's so heavy to her. We're lucky right now. She's like, we got her back. You know, she's like, she's staying with with a homie and like, you know, she's taking meds and she's good, you know. But I mean, those are like the people that I met when I came to Coventry. They're all part of Sam's family, you know. And it was like, that's why I bring up Sam because it's like, that's like, hugely how I perceive that you know just beyond me you know like these people that just like hey we like Alex (laughs) you know hey I like you guys too you know like you make me write music (laughs) the street light blinds the night sky black the night life hisses from the concrete Snaking beneath the howling drum Of the city's electric glow Echoing the footsteps Of the brace of men The hustling 
and the bustling of the power play. So many sounds in that system, yes. So many sounds in that system. Daytime drama and the applause of game show crowds clamor through the walls and the windows of the projects distorted by television speakers and stereos woven to the wilderness the street life bellows so many sounds system, yeah. So many sounds in that system. The grinding gears and the growling exhaust of the industry resounding patterns and rhythms in our society listen to them now they are so loud so many sounds in the system yeah So many sounds in the system, yeah. You receive our resistance, these sounds, these sounds of the system. You receive our resistance, these sounds, these sounds of the system. Receive or resist them. These sounds, these sounds of the system. You receive or resist them. These sounds are the system. Yeah.